time around God's word. We love to worship. We love to come to the table of the Lord, but we love the word of God. Amen. So Lord, we just thank you for this time. We just thank you for your word to us, Father. We just thank you, Lord, that you speak to us constantly through your word, Lord, that it is a living word. And this morning, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to just speak to our hearts, Lord, as we gather around your word together, Father, that you would just impart truth into our lives, Lord, transforming truth into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, they switched me off already. Right, I'm going to read from John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. A scripture you all know, always my famous last words, it's one we all know, a story we all know, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Okay, you with me? Okay, so now on the third day, Jesus' mother went to a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana, and Jesus and the disciples were all invited to the banquet, but with so many guests, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realized it, she came to Jesus and asked, they have no wine, can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand, this is the passion, (laughs) don't you understand that if I do this, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Mary then went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Nearby stood six stone water pots meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one could hold about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to the servers and instructed them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim, he said. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. And when they poured out their pitchers for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water had become wine. When he tasted the water that had become wine, the master of ceremonies was impressed with its quality, although he didn't know where the wine had come from, only the servers knew. He called the bridegroom over and said to him, every host serves the best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two and then he serves the cheaper wine. But you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine, exquisite wine until now. This miracle in Cana was the first of many extraordinary miracles that Jesus performed in Galilee that revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. How many sermons have you heard on this? Hundreds, 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 hundreds. How many stories have we been told in Sunday school about Jesus transforming the water into wine, about the power of what God can do, about saving the best to last? But let me ask you this. How many times have you felt that your pitcher is just full of water? How many times have you felt like your great celebration of life is twindling along and everything's great and the wine is flowing and all of a sudden it stops? All of a sudden you go to your source where you normally draw wine and there's just water. It's empty. There's nothing there for you. And, you know, I just want to turn this on its head before we get into the word this morning. Most people that share on this start at the beginning and walk us through the process to Jesus, taking them to the wine. But this morning, I just want to start at that point because I have (laughs) walked with the Lord a long time, lived in a pastor's house for just about 30-something years, no, 50 years. So I've heard a lot of stories I've seen a lot of tears. I've watched a lot of disappointment. And I've heard a lot of people saying, where's God, Pastor? Where is he? Why is there only water in the pot? 
Why is it empty? That wine was supposed to keep flowing for the whole celebration of my life. And yet I've gone this morning and it's empty. We're talking about a feast that would have been prepared for probably for months. And probably the thing that was most important was that the wine would be good and it would flow at a certain... Even the way they say that they plan it out. They give the best first and then they had it all sorted. And sometimes in life we find ourselves there, don't we? I don't know about you, but I can honestly stand here and say I love God. I've served God. I've known God for many, many years. And I have many times felt disappointed. I have many times felt like I took my cup expecting the wine that I normally get. And I walked away thinking, this isn't what I expected. This isn't how it should be. And there have been times, I'm, I don't know, dispositions are different, but not too many, but where we do sort of say, God, why? But you know, when I ask that question, I want God to show me, it's not a, a question that I confront him with. It's a question that I want answered. The problem is with that question, most people deliver it as a confrontation to God. Where is God? With venom, with anger, with hostility. And I think it's a whole different ball game when we cry out to God and say, where are you? Where are you, Lord? You know, once I, I was in America years ago with the girls, and Rianne was about two, I think, and it was around the time that Madeleine McCann went missing. It was very tough. We were in America, and it all broke the story about Madeline. It was awful. And <laughs> this day we went to SeaWorld. And long story short, you know what I'm going to say. The kids went off and my sister-in-law was walking towards me and she said to me, Shan, have you got Rianne? And I said, I don't have Rianne. Where is Rianne? And she, my sister-in-law literally passed out on the spot. She was like, I don't have Rianne. And Rianne was gone. And I remember just the overwhelming, like, I, I won't even begin to get into it. It was awful. And it went on for about, I don't know, 10, it felt like an age. Thank God, obviously we found her. <laughs> yeah, we found her. But I remember Rianne, it still makes me emotional, coming towards me, hand in hand with one of the SeaWorld staff. And she just kept saying to me, Mommy, where you was? Where you was, Mommy? And I was broke and I was on my knees. They were trying to give me sugar to drink because I was just passing out in the spot. And she just held me really tight. She said, where you was, mommy? Where were you, mom? I was there. I was looking for her. I was loving her. I was panicking. I was worried. I was concerned. And she knew that. She didn't come up to me and say, you left me. Where were you? She came and said, where were you, mom? And that's how we come to God. That's what I want to encourage you to do in those moments. It's okay to ask the question, where you was, God? <laughs> where you were, God? Where were you in that moment? Because there's always an answer. I know God, and I give you my life guarantee today through my testimony and my experience of God that he was always there. Always there. Rianne, in those moments, knew that her mother hadn't disappeared off the planet and forgotten all about her. She just knew she had to find her. And that's a world of difference. And sometimes in our difficulties, in the dry wine seasons, we have to just find God. Instead of saying, where is God? We need to look in the mirror and say, Jeanne, you need to get up and you need to find God. You need to sort this out. Jesus comes to this feast. The wine runs out. We know the story. He changes the water into wine. Full stop. Everybody go home. But there are keys in this process that we fail to follow. 
we all fast forward to the wine. We like to talk about the quality of the wine. We like to talk about the quantity of the wine. But we don't always like talking about the process of the miracle. There was a process in this miracle. And I want to encourage you this morning, when you're standing in dry places, when you're looking for wine and only finding water, consider the process that God is laying into your life, the ground rules that he's placing in your life, because he's there. He's right there. The first thing I want to say this morning about this passage is, the key is in verse, I think it's in verse 2. Verse 2. Verse 2 says, Jesus and all his disciples were invited. They were invited to the feast. They were guests. What's a guest? It's somebody who's invited to participate, to be a part of. And quite often, we let Jesus into the room, but he's not invited. Jesus promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we have the comfort and the security of knowing he's around somewhere. He's in, the, he's in the banquet. He's over there somewhere. That's all good. Jesus was invited to be a participant in this ceremony. And so were his disciples. Because likewise, sometimes in this day and age, we stand in nations where even the disciples aren't welcome. We are not welcome. We are not invited to place. That's okay. That's okay. But why then? Do those people cry out and say, where is God? You see, the world today cries out constantly, where is God? How many of you have sat and had conversations with atheists or that say, like, where is God? And I'm like, where is his invitation? Has he been invited? Because if he has, he's going to show up and he's going to turn water into wine. Have you invited him into this situation? Have you invited him into this country? Michal Martin, have you asked God into this country? You might have prayed in desperation, but have you issued an invitation to God to be in this place? Has he had an invitation? Not just lip service, but an invitation to participate in the function that we are enduring, that we are going through. He was invited to the wedding. And whether we like it or not, everything with God begins with invitation. You see, I was sitting with Jordan the other day and we were having this chat about, you know, the big question everybody's got, if God's so great, why is everyone going to hell? Everybody's invited. Everybody gets an invitation. You don't have to take it. And Jesus waits to be invited to their judgment day. Every human being on this earth because of what happened in the beginning that we all know about, has a destiny, a date, where they will stand before God. And it's a pretty daunting prospect to anybody that has any idea of who God is. The holiness, the, the, the hugeness, for want of a better word. But you have an invitation in your hand that you are free to issue. And should you issue it, Judgment Day is going to look a heck of a lot different. Jesus, you're invited to my Judgment Day, and I couldn't do it without you because I have nothing to say for myself. All I can say on that day is Jesus. And that is an opportunity that's issued to everybody. It's not selective. Jesus died once and for all, 
that all might be saved. But there is a principle here of invitation. There is a principle of invitation. And Jesus waits, waits to be invited into the circumstance, into the situation, rather than confronted at the door. Where were you? Isn't it lovely when you look back on hard times? I don't know, I've been in a couple of sticky spots in my life. <laughs> we all have. And I love thinking back to days where I knelt by my bed. I just knew he was there because I invited him into my pain. I invited him into my hopelessness. I invited him into the, the desperation of running out of wine. When life ran dry on the wine, I invited him. And he was there ready to step up to the mark. And you know, Jesus wants to be invited. I want to say this this morning. I felt God put this on my heart. Jesus wanted, wants to be invited into your past, your present, and your future. He's awaiting your invitation. For some of us, the past is a bit too embarrassing. It's a bit too shameful. It's a bit too painful. It's a bit too complicated. It's not. He's ready. He's ready. He's ready to be there. The present... It's just too complicated. Jesus wants to be there. The future too uncertain. He wants to be invited into that in your life. What a different way to live. Inviting him, knowing that he can, he can do this. Look at what he did in this wedding under invitation of those people. He transformed the entire ceremony. The second thing I want to look at in the process. First one is invitation. Okay. Here's the second one. You all know what I'm going to say. Obedience. This passage is often discussed about obedience. We can invite him and ignore him. See, when the problem arose, there was probably a lot going on in that room. They were trying to hide it from the family. The servants were probably scurrying around going, what are we going to do? We're going to be killed. This is a big problem. And there was probably tons of conversations. And there's one woman in the midst of it all who says... <laughs> Excuse me, I'm just going to go to the invited guest over here who has all the answers. I'm just going to go and talk to the one who can sort this out. Because she knew him. She knew him. Now, she may not have invited him, but oh, she knew him. And she knew they could scurry around all they like. There ain't no wine coming from anywhere. And if there had, it would have been a couple of dregs. Maybe got a couple more glasses from somewhere. But Mary, in the midst of that room knew exactly who to go to. Now, I want to say this this morning. <laughs> I love God. I love God's word. Pat's laughing because I don't read it enough, I know. But I do love God's word. And you never fail to see something new in God's word, do you? And I was preparing this yesterday, and this morning I just was reading over the word, and immediately God spoke to me. I was like, wow, okay. I see this, Okay. Mary, I don't want to offend anybody, but she didn't perform any miracles that day. Mary moved in obedience to Jesus. I know there's a lot of, you know, I know where we are. And I know that people think that Mary has power. But here we see a snapshot in the life of Mary and Jesus. Here we have the privilege of just standing on a stage with them watching it play out. And as I watch, one of the humblest, most obedient, faithful women in the word of God 
I watch her walk to Jesus and say, son, there is a need and only you can meet it. And as ever, Mary stands up to be the most beautiful woman of God in submission to Christ, saying, son, this is yours. This is your moment, son. She turns to the servers, the sermons we've all heard. And what does she say to the sermons? Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. This is the words of Mary. Someone that people want to say can do it for herself. But she turns and says to a gathering of people, publicly, this is Mary. Whatever he says, you need to do it. And that word is echoing through the centuries to us today. Whatever he says, do it. I want to tell you this morning, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, he'll never fail you. Here's another one for you. I wept this morning when I saw this. Those words from Mary, whatever he tells you to do, do it, are her last recorded words in the entire scripture. At that point, Mary signs off. Mary signs off. She signs off. She loves him. She's her, his mother. She's with him to the end. But her last public declaration in the scripture, in the word of God, the last recorded words of Mary, do whatever he tells you to do. So where did we get it wrong? Think about it. I read a book years ago about, about Mary and Francine Rivers and she fictionalizes the life of Mary and I love the ending when Mary's dying and they're all coming to see her and she says, no, it's not about me, it's about him. I remember weeping, reading it. She's saying to John, no, John, tell them to go because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I remember weeping over it because if ever anybody has been so misrepresented, somebody that loved him and said to them, just do whatever he tells you to do. Did they turn around and say, never mind him, Mary, what about you? Don't worry about, no, she said, just do what he tells you to do. There is a moment of release. She just surrenders it in obedience. So Mary's final words in the word of God are words of obedience. Are words that direct us into obedience. Here is the process of the miracle in your life. Here is the process a very simple process that for some reason we complicate. Let me ask you, why do we complicate it? Because we are arrogant. We are self-centered. We think that we can resolve everything and we can't. I was looking at the news. You know, I don't watch the news, but I, I was looking on the, the RTE news app about the, the global warming. Look at the mess we're making. <laughs> Look at the mess we're making. And yet we think we can solve the issues where we need miracles. Jesus is here. Jesus is waiting to be invited. In our obedience, he operates and he performs the supernatural. The supernatural in your life and my life. And it's not just any wishy-washy supernatural. It's the best wine. It's the best wine. And yet they go, where's God? Where's God? Where's all the promises? 
Where's all the prophecies? And I feel like saying, well, where is your heart? Have you invited him? Have you submitted to him? Have you walked in obedience? Have you listened to him? Have you done everything he asked you to do? You see, in that moment, they had a choice. They could have just carried on and said, your man's nuts. You see, you forget all this. They're people in a crisis. Put yourself in the feet and the, and the person and the thinking of somebody who's serving wine at that feast. See, you don't think about that. You go, whoa, whoa, everybody got wine. It was really good. And they said, wow, that's amazing wine. No, there's a whole process, a process of obedience. Like, you go and get the water. I'm not getting the water. This is going to look mental. I'm sure there was conversations again going, this is mad. Who is he? Do you know who he is? Well, he's invited. I know. And that woman said, you know, we just have to. So I don't know. What do you think? You know, there would have been a whole load of things going on. But there was obedience in the house. There was obedience in the house, despite their lack of understanding, despite knowing what would happen. They didn't have to know the outcome. They, you see, we have hindsight. We have verse 10, 11, and 12. We have the wine story. They don't. Put yourselves in their shoes for five minutes. They don't have verse 11. They're still on verse 4. That's their reality is verse 4. And they're being told, go and do this. It sounds crazy, but just do it. And they blooming well went and did it. How many times has God come through for you when he's told you to do something mad? How many of you in here have done something mad that God told you to do? And God has just come through. <laughs> I laugh when, when God told me to marry Pat. Like, that was the maddest thing ever, wasn't it, love? <laughs> No, do you know what, though? It's obedience, because when God spoke to me to, and told me to marry Pat, I really didn't, like, that's a whole other conference. That really is, isn't it? I love him. That's a whole other conference. But I tell you, there's a story. There is a story of obedience in it, because there were so many voices. There was so much confusion. There was so much going on. There were so many odds stacked against us. There was no way that water was going to become wine, was it? But you know what? We drink from the best cup every day. We drink from the best cup every day. God has blessed us through obedience. And it was tough. It was really tough. Even the kids sometimes say, like, you're living proof there's a God. Because we're so different. <laughs> we're so different. But God, just that obedience. That's just obedience. Simple obedience. Blind. When did we get to the point where we have to dictate to God what he needs to do? When did we get there? We can't change things. They couldn't produce the wine. God could. Jesus could. Mary couldn't. Joe, nobody in that room could do it. Only Jesus. And he did it because they were obedient. First of all, he was invited. He was in the house. He was in the room. He was a participating guest, drinking from those cups. Then they were obedient. And we get too fixated on our own ability. Corey Ten Boom says, listen to this, it's not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. How can someone say that in a concentration camp? How can somebody say that? I tell you how she can say it, because she learned it. She learned it the hard way, in hopelessness and desperation to believe and be obedient. How do you sit in a concentration camp and not ask, where's God? She did, but she was also obedient to God. See, it's okay to ask the question. It's not okay to confront. It's a whole nother ball game. She walked in obedience. 
a woman broken, lost her entire family, wiped out, but teaching a Bible study in with, with all the fleas in the beds in the concentration camp in obedience to God. Lives that are still transformed. We are still being touched because of that woman's obedience. We tell you this, that day we have the invitation, we have the obedience, and we have the fruit, okay? Let's get to the fruit. The best wine, the best wine. It wasn't any wine, it wasn't cheap Aldi stuff, it was the best stuff, the best wine. Let me ask you this, how many people do you reckon drank from it? Is it just the bride and groom? The entire party got to drink from it. The fruit of the invitation, the fruit of the obedience was tasted by many. And in your life, you need to work on your invitation. Work on writing that invitation in your heart every day. Every day you have to get up and invite Christ into that day, into that moment, into tomorrow, into yesterday, into your thinking, into your pain, into your fear, into your anxiety, whatever it is, into your failings, into your weaknesses, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. Then you have to get up out of bed and you have to walk in obedience to it. You have to walk down the stairs and not look at stuff that's going to affect you when you've just asked God, when you've invited him into that situation. There's no point in going and embracing it as you walk out the front door. And then as you walk in obedience, every single person eats of the fruit of the miracle of God in your life and my life. Every single person gets to taste the cup. And that's what they say. That tastes really good. There's something different about that wine. There's something different. And I tell you, it is. It's different because it's God. It's his, it's not ours. It's not because we're great and we're obedient. It's because he is producing something. We come with water and we walk away with wine. And it flows from our lives. It flows out of our lives and it touches those that we meet on the street every single day. Let me tell you this as we're closing up. We all have disappointments. They are a part of life. There are things we don't expect. There are things we prepare for, and we think we have it all sewn up. Let me tell you something. If somebody had told me 25 years ago that I would be standing here doing this, like I would have just, I'd have, I'd have had them committed. I would have thought they were insane. I had my life sewn up. Had my job, my house, my car, had my life. Had it all worked out where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, how I was going to do it. And I was doing it really nicely. And then one day I went to the pot and it was empty. And I realized that the best laid plans are not enough. It's not enough. Whatever we've got planned, we can prepare. We think we have it all sorted. We have all of our little rainy day stuff sitting on the sidelines. But we are all walking towards situations. I don't mean to be pessimistic, but we do. Every day we walk towards situations that are disappointing and impossible. But praise God, I just checked the invitation list. I checked the guest list. I checked the participating guest list. And top of that list, over everybody else, everybody else is Jesus. Let me tell you something. People are not enough to get us through. They might try. And there's good people out there. You know, I try to be there. If I, need, if I can, I do everything I can to be there for whoever needs. But we fail constantly, don't we? Jesus will never fail us. Never fail. And that's why Mary's last words are, whatever he says, do it. 
because she knew that he was the one who would be eternal and would not fail us. She knew he was the one who would always have the answer. He would always have the miracle. He would always have the purpose. He would always step in and transform our lives. I want you to remember this this morning if you remember nothing else. When we stand in these situations and we say, where is God? It's not directed at him. It should be directed at us because it's our guest list. It's our invitation to write. So if you have to say, where is God? Really, you need to say it to yourself. Yeah, you know what, Shan? Where is God? Is he at the bottom of your list? Is he even on the list? The question is at me. So when you hear people saying, on where's God? Where's the prophetic? Where's the promise? Where's the miracles? Where is it? You know what? Pray for them. Because the question is towards themselves. Yeah, you know what, Shan? Where is that promise? What did you do with that prophetic word? What did you do that day? What happened? It was me. It's my guest list. And this morning, if you know Jesus and you have invited him into your life, I'd encourage you to give him an access all areas pass. Nowhere's off limits. No situation in the past, no situation in the present, no situation in the future do I ever want him to feel, she doesn't want me here. I know that the minute I'm in trouble, I do know that he just rushes in because he knows between him and I, I just couldn't hold him back. I just want him in every situation in my life. And he has never, ever, ever failed me. Do you want to see miracles? Do you want to see miracles in your life? Do you want to stand and instead of saying, where's God? Do you want to stand tomorrow morning and say, there's God? There's God. Do you want to sip that cup in the morning, that cup of wine, the best wine in God's word, the best wine in his presence, and say to yourself, there's God. There he is. In the midst of it all, in the midst of whatever's in my day, there's God. At the end of the day, wine or water, the choice is ours. It's ours. It's not his. He's already promised it. The RSVP in heaven is already signed. I'll be there. It's in his word. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never decline an invitation from you, in other words. The RSVP in heaven says, dear Shan, I'll always be there. Thank you for your kind invitation. I will always be there. Looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> your father. It's already signed, it's already sealed, and it's just waiting to be delivered this morning. I just want to encourage you this morning as we close, just disappointments, running dry on wine, running dry on life, running dry on love, running dry on hope. It's okay, just make sure that he's there. It's all okay, just make sure he's there. And as we close this morning, I just want you to remember this. The invitation is the first step. Obedience is the second. Obedience is the second. Be sure to do everything like she told us. We're coming up to Christmas. 
We're going to be looking at the incredible obedience of that young girl, the humility. It breaks me every Christmas, what she did. It's just remarkable, a young girl like that, to face all those odds. And let me tell you, the last thing she wanted you to hear from her, her living will to you today, is do whatever he tells you to do. She sacrificed everything for Jesus. Sacrificed everything, her reputation, her security, her future to some level. And she's standing and she's saying, do whatever he tells you to do. In other words, here is the answer, people. Here is your miracle. Here is your promise. She went to all that trouble so that the promise would be delivered and the miracle would occur. So be encouraged this morning. Do whatever he tells you to do, even if you don't understand it. Amen. Shan's obedience brought around a mighty miracle. 